are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So this coming Wednesday night, uh, we'll have a special uh, activity for the children and then a special service for the youth in the youth room. And then at 9, Pastor Timmy will have a special service for the college students. And, and I'm asking every adult to come and join me in the sanctuary. Um, we're going to have a prayer service together. And what I want to do is talk to you just a few minutes before we pray together um, just about these next 40 days of prayer together. So I'm really hoping every adult can join me in this room Wednesday night at 6.30. I wish you'd mark it on your calendar right now and say, okay, we'll show up. And, uh, and I'm going to speak for a few minutes. We'll sing a song or two. And then we're going to pray together. But I just want to cast for you the vision that I have for these next 40 days as we lead up to Easter. So please, mark your calendars, join me here uh, in the sanctuary or in your respective area on Wednesday, okay? You know, when you think about it, um, our bodies are fascinating, right? Um, they, They tell me that our bodies have just the average body, everybody's body, 639 muscles, When I look in the mirror, I don't quite see that, but I'm going to take their word for it. Okay, that's what the textbook says. How many bones do you think you have in your body? Biology majors are going to know, but the rest of us may not remember from that. How many bones do you think you have? How many? More than 100? Anybody? Less than 100? 206 bones in your body. Yeah, did you get it right? Isn't that amazing? And when you add to that 70-some organs... Do you know how many pounds of skin you have on your body? Six pounds of skin. And then when you think about all the cartilage and ligaments, arteries, veins, blood, and don't forget fat, all of that makes up your body. And here's what blows my mind is that we have these very complicated bodies made up of so many, many different parts, all of these moving parts, and all I have to do is send a signal from my brain that says, take Three steps to the right and watch what happens. It just, it just all works together. Don't you think it's amazing that you have all of this going on in here, heart beating, lungs working, blood pumping, cells living, bones, muscles, ligaments, tendons, you name it, and, and it all works in incredible union. Lift your left leg. There you go. It just it works in such sync together. It just is amazing. So I would never, ever say, you know, I think my feet are ugly, so I don't think I want them anymore. I'm just going to mistreat them and abuse them. No, no, they're part of my body. Just over a year ago, I broke my hip. I realized that I need that hip so desperately. You know what the doctors did? They gave me a titanium hip because I need that hip every day of my life. And so there you go, I got a new hip. So Paul, I think, was just brilliant in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the body. And he uses this metaphor, and here's what he says. He says, you got this picture of the body in your mind, right? And how the body functions, one body, all these parts, but but just one body, all functioning together. He says, you. And when he says you, he's referring to you, okay? You are the body of Christ. Wow. That's amazing. 
you are the body of Christ. It's not like this is the body of Christ here, and then, you know, like down the street at another church, there's another body of Christ, and, and, and just north of us at another church, there's another. No, 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 it's not like that. It's like all together, there is only one body. And we're all working together to accomplish what Jesus wants to accomplish on this earth. We are his body. So we are his hands. We are his feet. So when Jesus wants somebody hugged, guess what he does? He uses your arms. And when he wants somebody served, guess what he does? He uses your hands. And when he wants someone visited, guess what he does? He uses your feet to get there. And so if you need another picture of that, let me just share a brief story. Doug and Margaret Eaton serve Bethany First Church in the country of Eswatini by being our on-site coordinators in that small southern African country. And so when they went there a couple of years ago, they went with the knowledge that, that Barbie Moore, who directs our world missions at our church, really wanted to consider the plight of young women who are being sexually and physically abused in that country. Now, here's what happens in that country. When a young woman is physically and sexually abused, she doesn't say anything. And the reason she doesn't say anything is because there's nowhere to go. It's not like living in the United States of America. There's not a safe house. And so they begin to pray, what if we could build a haven of hope? What if we could build a place where these girls could come and live? And so I remember last year on a Wednesday afternoon at 1.30, I was FaceTiming with Doug and Margaret. They were in Africa. I was here in the parking lot after lunch getting ready to come back to the office. And they said last night we got in our car and we drove miles and miles from Manzini into this really small village and we picked up a young girl who was being beaten and starved and raped by a family member repeatedly. And we got her out of that situation. But we don't have anywhere to take her. And Doug said to a group of people the other night, even if one of those girls has a little bit of hope, even if they believe in God and they believe God sees their plight and they believe that one day God's going to deliver them from this horrible nightmare that they are living in every day, even if they have a little bit of hope, he said they don't have a haven. They don't have a place to go. And so at a dinner the other night, people gave $46,000 in one offering saying, we want to help you build that place. So here's what I'm trying to say. Doug and Margaret become in that moment the hands and feet of Jesus. And the people who are giving become the hands and feet of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is concerned about. That's the work that Jesus is doing in the world. That's the compassion of Jesus. And so in that moment, you and I can become the hands and the feet of Jesus. That's the body of Christ. We're His hands, His feet in the world today. So that's what I want to do. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay, and just show you this language that Paul uses about you. Those of you who call yourself Christians, those of you who are saying, I'm not for sure what the church really is all about. This is going to be one of those sermons where you go, okay, I think I understand the church a whole lot better now. 
So Paul is a missionary who is strategic in his efforts, and he decides that he's going to plant a church in Corinth. Corinth was a major port center, so lots of commerce, lots of people coming to and leaving from Corinth. And he decides that the gospel will spread from there if he plants a church there. He plants a church, and after a while he leaves to go plant a church somewhere else, and he hears that there are some problems at the church in Corinth. And one of the problems he addresses in this chapter, and that is that when they come to worship together, like we came this morning, you guys all showed up and here we are, some people had some gifts that other people didn't have. And there became tension about that. And a few people began to say, wow, look at her up there singing. I can't sing like that. Or I was in a group this morning and, and a person was teaching and I... I can't teach like that. Or this other person seems just to do something really well, and I don't do it well. And they were struggling. And so Paul gives this metaphor. Here we go. You ready? Verse 12, chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, all right, so meaning just as a physical body, just I've got one body, has many parts, 207 bones, 639 muscles, 72 organs, 6 pounds of skin, you name it, many parts. But all its many parts form just one body. Although there's many parts here, we're talking one body. He says, so it is with Christ. So there's many of us here today, but we all make up one body, the body of Christ. Christians all over the world make up one body, the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. He's talking about water baptism here. This is when you entered the church. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. I love this because he's saying the body of Jesus Christ is very diverse. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different social and economic backgrounds. We're all very different. But we are all given one spirit to drink. Meaning... Once we become Christian, God just pours His Spirit out on all of us, okay? So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would look hilarious, right? Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, it would look even worse. Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Now, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is... There are many parts, but one body. You're starting to get the point, aren't you? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you anymore. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division. Listen to this. In the whole body of Christ, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. What does that mean? It means if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I thought I would just sit down for a minute and, and talk with you about, about you and, and talk with you about me for a minute. And, and I got one question I want to ask you, okay? And so it's a, it's a terribly personal question. But I think if we spend a minute or two here, it will be good for us. How, how much do you personally deal in your own life? This is about you, not the people sitting beside you. How much, how much do you deal with comparing yourself to others? So I think most people are going to say, Rick, we, we all are tempted to do that from time to time. I agree. How, how big is that in your life? How, how much does that occupy your thinking? How much do you compare yourself to other people? How, how much do you see your life as in competition with others? So this friend over here seems to be kind of outdoing me. I want to feel important. I want to feel significant. I want to be important. I want to be significant. But uh, people all around me are kind of outshining me right now. It's making it kind of hard. You see what I'm asking? I don't think social media really helps. Uh, what we post more of than anything else on social media are our best moments. And so when we find ourselves looking at social media, we look at everybody else's best moment and we kind of compare our lives to theirs and say, wow, my life does not look like that right now, that's for sure. Or we ask questions like, I wonder why I wasn't invited. Look at all of them together and I'm not there. Or I just don't seem to measure up. I feel like I'm being outdone these days. I feel like there's this comparison going on in my heart. I feel like I, I live my life kind of competing trying to come up maybe to the level that other people are so that I can, you know, feel significant and important because I want to feel significant I want to feel important. So I know this is like 2,000 years ago, but it's the Corinthian problem. Because what happened for them is what can happen to us. We can feel inferior or superior based on our own God-given giftedness. So what do you mean? I mean, we can sometimes feel inferior. Here's what Paul says. He says, you know, the, the feet can't say, well, because I'm not a hand, I really don't even belong. I don't even, I shouldn't even be here. Now, feet, we know in Paul's day, were covered with sandals, and they were very dusty, and sometimes they were muddy, and they probably smelled bad. And the feet are kind of going, you know what? I got nothing going compared to the hand. I mean, the hands are all out there. I mean, we're all covered up down here. We're tired. We're hurting. We're aching. Um, you know, we're dirty. We're muddy. We stink. And look at the hand. The hand is just, the hand is waving. The hand is shaking other hands. The hand is giving gifts. I mean, what would it be like if I could be a hand? 
And, and so I think that's where we sometimes live. I, I wish I did, I don't. I, I, I don't have the gift of serving and helping. And I recognize that about my life. And I recognize it when I see other people who are great at serving and helping. I'm not saying I don't serve and I don't help. I'm just saying it's not a natural gift for me. And I don't do it nearly as well as other people do it who have the gift. There's this one guy who is a great teacher. I love to sit under his teaching. And I just think to myself, wow, what would it be like to have that gift? And so what happens is you begin to compare yourself and you say, I feel kind of inferior. I don't have those gifts. Now, the other is true also. You can feel superior because you have a gift. The eye, Paul says, cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Do you know what I am capable of? Do you understand the power that is in this little ball? Do you know what life is like if I'm not part of it? And so sometimes I think we are tempted to feel like the only important thing that's happening in the kingdom of God is what I'm doing. And yeah, there's another church over here, but I don't know that they're making much of a difference. I think we really are making the difference. How sad to think like that. So here's where it leads to. Are you ready? Here's what it says. There are these more visible gifts. And the enemy will tell you, he will lie to you and say, well, that equals that person is more important. And then there are less visible gifts and the enemy lies and says, yeah, that person with the less visible gifts isn't as important. But that's not true. Here's the truth. You know that pretty face that you wear everywhere you go, every day that you go? You, you did nothing to deserve or to earn that face. God gave you that face. Yep. God gave you the face. Just like He gifted you with gifts. And made you to be who you are. You can't take any credit for those. You did not... Achieve those on your own. Those were given to you by God. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 11, here's what Paul says. The Spirit distributes the gifts to each one just as He determines. I didn't make a list and say, I would like these gifts, please. No, God decided, Rick, you will get these gifts. But here's the good news. God has given you everything that you need to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Just take a breath and relax. It's okay that you don't have certain gifts. God packed your bag. God created you the way that you are. God gifted you the way that He wanted you to be so that you could accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. You have everything you need to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Relax. And you don't have to compare and you don't have to compete anymore. I remember a few years ago, I was flying home from Africa. I was by myself. And it's a long flight from Johannesburg, South Africa to um, Atlanta, Georgia. I'd already been traveling for about five, six hours before I got on the plane in Johannesburg. And it's about a 16-hour flight. You start out with, I'm going to be really productive. I'm going to try to get good sleep. And at some point, it just becomes an act of endurance. I'm just going to get through it, you know. 
I had about four or five hours left and I couldn't sleep anymore and so I decided to watch a movie and I watched a movie called uh, The Lost Boys. Have you ever seen it? It's about some uh, refugees from a country in Africa relocating to the United States of America. It's a good story. And it's a movie that you would enjoy as a family. At the end of the movie, there's just a screen with words on it. And it's an old African proverb, and here's what it said. I'd never heard it in my whole life. If you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. If you want to run fast, run by yourself. But if you want to run far, run together. And I think maybe emotionally, I've been gone from home for over a week and I was missing Annette, I was missing my girls, I was missing my church. And I think emotionally with culture shock in there, I was a little out of balance and I remember when I read that proverb for the first time, I just started to cry. I'm sitting there on the plane just crying. Because what I realized was, I need a net. And I need my family, and I need my friends, and I, I need my church. I need you. I desperately need you. And Paul says, you, you can't say to another member of the body, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you guys. Because the fact of the matter is, every member plays their vital role and we desperately need each other. Everybody is needed. And so what if we could shift from this individualistic mindset that our culture is just shoving down our throats. It's all about you. You deserve a break. You need this. What about you? Give yourself a little pampering. Do this for you. You deserve this. What if we made a shift? And in the book that we're studying, Soul Shift, this week, number seven, with Deneff and Drury, they're suggesting, what about if we move from individualism to community? What if I were just able to come to this place that I said, you know what, it's, I'm not the center of the universe. And it's really not just all about me. What I want, what I desire, do people see me as important? Do people see me as significant? Am I getting my recognition? Am I getting my needs met? What, what if we shifted to say, oh no, it's about us. What's my role in the community? How does God want to use me among all of these people? How can I unite my efforts with what the community is accomplishing? How, how can I think about the greater good? So, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to California or Oregon to see the massive coastal redwood trees? Would you raise your hand really high? You've seen them. Oh, I got lots scattered around. 
maybe maybe 10%, 15% of us probably, something like that. I actually have not been. I, uh, I've been reading about them lately, and they are mind-boggling to me. And, and if you're just, you know, sitting with your laptop or your phone, and you want to look at something fascinating, I brought a couple of pictures, okay? Here is just the base of one of those trees. Can you believe this? It's just massive. These things are humongous. They're, they're bigger than anything you could imagine. I can't wait to one day go see them, okay? Let me show you one other picture. I mean, these kids look like ants instead of human beings at the base of a tree. Don't you agree? That's how big the tree is. Let me show you a few facts about the tree. I think you'll find it fascinating. A redwood tree can grow up to 380 feet tall. There is one in the world that is 380 feet tall. They can weigh up to 2 million pounds. Diameter, 24 feet, okay? They can live from five to 700 years. Although, listen to me, listen to me, there are some trees that are 2,000 years old. Now think about this. With a tree that is 380 feet into the air, 2 million pounds, 24 feet at the base, can you imagine what kind of an extensive root system it would have to have to keep from falling over? We're talking about California and organs, storms, wind, and earthquakes. But here's what's amazing about the tree. Its root system only goes 6 to 12 feet deep into the earth. And you're like, what? <laughs> There's no way. There's no way that a tree can stand 380 feet in the air, weighing 2 million pounds with a 27-foot diameter base, and it's only going to have a root system that goes 6 to 12 feet in the ground. But it's true. And here's the secret. Wood trees do not grow alone. They grow in belts, long belts of trees. And their root system, now you know that when you see a tree, you're only seeing what's out of the ground. You know there's more to that tree than what you're seeing. There is a root system that is every much a part of that tree. Every bit of, as much a part of that tree. And here's what the redwood tree roots do. They grow and they interlock with the roots of the other trees. Some redwood roots systems, I, I'm sorry I'm not talking well, I'll get it together can expand as far as a hundred feet from the trunk of the tree. And all the time interlocking, weaving around the roots of the other trees around it. Resembling an army of people with their arms interlocked. Saying that when the storms come and when the winds blow, and when the earthquakes occur, we are going to stand together in order to weather the storms. It's an incredible picture of the church. It's the picture Paul's painting here. That's what the church is. The church is this group of people. Somebody may say, you know, I, I have these Christians at my work. You know, I, I, I don't get it. To, to the whole world, they don't see what's below the surface. All I know is that they go through hard times, and they seem to come through them pretty good. we got this one lady, and she's going through cancer, and, and she just kind of has this positive spirit, and she's, 
kind of got this smile on her face and this joy in her heart. I don't get it. One of the Christians at my work, they experienced some really big loss in their life, and they, they kind of come through it strong. I don't understand. What they don't realize is that below the surface, there is this connectivity of brothers and sisters that say we are members of one body. Many parts, but one body. And we are interlocked. We have a system where we lock arms with one another and we say to one another, when you go through the storms of life, when the winds blow, when the storms come, you're not by yourself. You're not on your own. We are going to stand with you. We're going to lock arms. And together we're going to weather this storm. So Tuesday night, I get the phone call that Scott Schellenberger has collapsed while teaching a class at Southwestern University. And I run over to the emergency room at Integris Hospital. And I'm telling you, an army of people over the next hour came rushing through those emergency room doors And we were just a mess of people in the hallways. And here's what they were saying. Hey, Schellenbergers, you're not going to go through this alone. We've come to lock arms with you. We know this is the greatest storm you've ever experienced in your life. But we're in the storm with you. Paul says it this way in the passage, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all celebrate. Nobody goes through life by yourself. But we're going to lock arms with you. And we're going to stand with you. And we're going to be together. And somehow together, we're going to weather this storm. See, that's the picture of the church. So just just lean in for 30 seconds. We are the body of Christ. Many parts. One body. God gave you the gifts He wants you to have. You don't have to compete. You don't have to compare. God's given you everything that you need to do what He wants you to do. And so we begin to shift our thinking and we say, you know what? It's not just about me, is it? It's about the community. It's about the role that I play within the body. And when we come to that place and one member of the body goes through a really tough time, we're able to say, come on. Let's all lock arms together because it's not just one of us. It's all of us. It's not just about me. It's about everybody else too. We're going to stand together and we're going to get you through this storm. See, that's, that's the church of Jesus Christ. So I want you to stand with me, will you? And let's respond to what God has said to us this morning through His Word. And you know, as always, if there's ever a need that you want to pray about, you're always welcome to come and kneel here at one of the altars and pray. But let's take these moments to be in His presence, shall we? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.